It's, it's easy, isn't it, to read a section like this and automatically think about gender politics, automatically think about the, the issues that may apply, the different ideas there are about husband and wife and men and women and their roles. It's very easy to get pulled into that. And the truth is, there are Christians that have different ideas about what a marriage should look like, about different roles among genders. There's different Christians who disagree about these issues. And it's tempting as well to, to think, okay, well, let's do a study that's just really practical. Let's just really kind of talk about, here's what a good marriage looks like, here's what a bad marriage looks like. And to be almost over-applicational, to where we're, we're so focused on you know, all these kind of little ideas and these maybe this little romantic anecdotes and try to pull on the heartstrings about how lovely marriage is. It's tempting to do that with something like this because we know that it can be controversial in our day and age. So maybe we'll sugar it up and then it'll feel better. But I'm convinced that when the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church in Ephesus, that he was not concerned with gender politics and have no... Misconceptions, there were gender politics in Paul's day as well. Different gender politics, but still they were there. And Paul was not concerned so much about people finding their sort of romantic soulmate in marriage. No, Paul's concern was that people who said that they wanted to follow Jesus would know what does that look like in applying to their marriage. And I have to say, too, this is something that as we talk about this, there is the potential for us who really desire to follow Jesus. Those of us who are already Christians, we really want to follow Jesus. There's a temptation for us to to either get nitpicky about how these things apply or to get condemned because we think we just don't have the kind of marriage we should have. But isn't that kind of a temptation everywhere in Scripture? especially the second half of Ephesians, right? We've seen the first half of Ephesians was all about Paul saying, this is your position in Christ. You're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God saved you not because you deserve it, but because he's good and he's loving, and so he saves us and forgives us. And the last three chapters are really us just responding to that. We have this perfect relationship with God through Jesus And now we respond to that by following Jesus, and Paul's getting more and more practical about what that following looks like. What does it look like to have our lives transformed by Jesus? What does it look like to have our marriages transformed by Jesus? That's what this is about. Now, I want to say this ahead of time as well, that I probably won't get into really as much application as you'd like. So you're probably going to have a lot of questions and I'm, we're happy to talk with you, right? But let me just say this. A lot of the, the questions you're going to have are going to be things that you, as you who are married, are going to have to go husband and wife to the Lord and say, God, how do you want us to work this out? How is this supposed to apply? And I don't say it because I'm trying to you know, shrink away from my responsibility to help you with these things. I'm just trying to say a lot of the application to how we live it, 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 as married people, we have to say, okay, Lord, how do we live this out in our life right now? And for those of you who aren't married, who are thinking, okay, well, I'm single. This doesn't really apply to me. It does apply to you, and I hope that this becomes obvious as we go through the text. So we've talked about the the, the Ephesians. Really, the theme that we're having for Ephesians is a new way to be human. What does it look like to be human in light of Jesus, the perfect human, 
God's only begotten Son coming, living on this perfect, uh, living a perfect life on this earth, and dying for our sins to make us new. What does it look like to live a life following Him? And so we're going to look at three things. First, Paul starts by saying, "What's the wife's responsibility?" And he does this because in verse twenty-one, if you remember from last week, Paul makes this statement. This is part of living a spirit-filled life. This is part of us wanting to be surrendered to the work of God's Spirit in our life is, in verse 21 it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So part of being those who are filled with God's Spirit, who are submitted to God's work in our lives, is that we submit to one another. Now some people try to take this as an application of, okay, that means everybody should submit to everybody. But let's be honest, that doesn't really work, does it? How does that work? No, what Paul's trying to say is, because everyone who's a believer in Jesus has God's Spirit living in them, part of the work of the Spirit as God's family is, we know that God can speak and minister through anyone to anyone. So we want to be open to what God might say to us or, or, or do for us or help us with through somebody else's life or ministry. So we want to submit to that. That's part of it. But part of it also is recognizing that submission, just the whole idea of submitting, putting yourself under somebody else, is a God-glorifying thing. It actually is something that God calls us to. And now, this is countercultural for us today. In the West, we think, I'm an individual. I do what I want to do. We don't think about submission. But biblically, the Bible talks about submission. As we're going to see today, Jesus models for us submission. So when Paul starts his command, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For notice he says, the husband is the head of the wife. What Paul's doing there is he's not saying, listen, all, he's not saying all females need to be under all males. No, he's not saying that's how submission works. He's actually limiting submission a wife's submission to her own husband. He's saying, okay, here's, here's how it works. We're talking about marriage here. We're not saying all females need to be submitted to all males. And this is an important thing because in the culture this was written, that's what would have been the expectation. That women, all women, were under all men. But Paul's being clear about this. They're not. He's saying a wife submits to her own husband. But also that little phrase, very important phrase where it says, as to the Lord. He's also saying that submission is limited by the will of God. And what I mean by that is what God says in His Word. So in other words, if a husband who is called to be the head of his family, is called to be the one that leads his family, if the husband wants the wife to do something that the Scripture would say don't do, the wife is no, in no way obligated to submit to that. In no way. And also, listen, as unto the Lord, as we're going to see in a minute, it means that you say, okay, Lord, how do you want us to live as married people? And we're going to see in just a minute that God wants us to live as married people as one. That we're in this thing together, whereas we'll see Peter says, joint heirs of the grace of life. So we're saying, okay, God, what is your will specifically for us? We want to find that out together. So it's really important that we understand this. It's interesting. There was a, a family at our church for a while, and uh, they, 
They had slightly different views than I do on this issue. Lovely people love Jesus, lovely people. They were what we'd call egalitarian. You've probably heard that word, egalitarian. And it, and it means that basically uh, women and men should have always the same roles at all time. That's what they would say, okay? Now, there's a, definitely a place for egalitarianism in society, but there's certain things here in Scripture that would say that's not the case. On the other end of the spectrum is what we call a patriarchal idea. Patriarchal means that the oldest man in a family calls the shots for everyone in the family. That's the culture with which uh, the, the Scriptures were written in. That's not the principle of the Scripture, but that's the culture the Scripture was written in. Do you understand? So sometimes it's describing things that are patriarchal. So you have egalitarian on one end, you have patriarchal on the other end, okay? And a whole bunch of spectrums with those two things about how these are applied. What this is talking about is what we call complementarianism. It's a big word. And it simply just means this, that the roles of men and women complement each other. They have distinct roles that complement each other. It's not that uh, a man's better than a woman or that a woman's better than a man. They're equal in the sight of God, but their roles complement each other. This is what he's talking about. It's important to recognize that that complementarianism, that equal status but different roles, should never be an excuse, having the different roles, for any man to control or abuse any woman ever. Or for any husband to ever think, hey, I'm going to just bully my way through and not consider the, the perspective and desires of his wife. Because this is what the will of God would be, was that we'd work together. And, this, and think of it this way. As, as, the, as one of the pastors of the church, myself and Adam, we are the pastors of this church, so we have a certain amount of responsibility and therefore authority in this church. But we would be foolish if we didn't listen to the congregation. Now, we don't vote. We're not a congregational church, but we do listen. When they say, you know, why are we doing this? Maybe we should think about this or... Have you ever thought about this? Or we, I thought we believe this, don't we believe that? Those kinds of things are important. They help us work through, okay, God, are we getting this right? Because God does hold us accountable for what happens in this church, but because we're accountable, we want to know, what do you guys think? A husband should be the same way with his wife. Well, I, I need to know what you think. I, I need your perspective. So you kind of see a similar thing happening in the book of Acts when Peter <coughs> and John would have recognized <coughs> that the... The, the, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation still had a certain level of authority. So they, when they were summoned, they would go listen to them. But when they were summoned, when Peter and John were summoned before the religious authorities, and those religious authorities told them, hey, you can't preach Jesus anymore, what did they say? Peter said, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Well, this is important to understand. Now, this, just to be clear, Remember, we're talking about wives submitting to their husbands. Wives, I'm not giving you, getting you a get-out-of-submission-free card. I'm not saying to you, okay, guess what? You don't really have to do what your husband says. You can say, you know, actually, God told me this, so I don't think I've got to do what you have to say. That's bogus. That's bogus. That's not the way it works. But I am saying, if your husband's wanting you to be involved in something that's, that's unbiblical, or if your husband is insisting that you do something that you're like going, I'm, I don't think this is safe for our family or wise for our family, you have an obligation to love him enough to say, listen, it is your call, but I am really concerned about X, Y, and Z. You need to say something. And if they're wanting to do something that isn't, but we can say, I'm sorry, I, I, we can't, I can't be involved in that. I want to be clear about this because it is a big deal 
to put yourself under the authority of any person. Now, now Paul goes on to say this. Notice, in verse, still verse 23, he says, for the husband is the, the head of the wife. He says, also as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Therefore, notice what he says, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So he's really clear there's not an area in married life where the husband doesn't have the final say. Now, I recognize this is countercultural. I'll probably get some hate emails this week. I understand, you know, especially when it goes online and people see this. What? You still believe that? I do, because that's what the Scripture seems to say pretty clear to me. Now, I want to be clear, though, on this, okay? Not only is Paul not saying it's, ma- Paul's saying it's not male over female, but it's wives supporting husbands, but also, listen, it's not about male superiority, but it is about Christ's authority. Jesus is the head of the church, not me. Jesus calls the shots, which is if, why, if I start doing things that are unbiblical, you not only have a right, but a responsibility to chuck me out and get me replaced. And so the same thing goes in a sense in a, in a, in a marriage, in this sense, that Christ is the authority. So when, when God says, when the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands, it's not saying, your husband's such a great guy. He's so worthy to trust and to be submitted to. You should do whatever he says. That is never the case. Ladies, amen? Cut all, you cowards. <laughs> but the truth is, we fall short. Know that what Paul's saying, he's saying, it's not so much that, that your husband's so worthy to be submitted to, it's that Jesus is so worthy to be submitted to. That's the issue. In fact, interesting, we're going to talk about these verses a bit more next week. But Jesus is the great example of someone who submits the greater to the lesser. Listen to this. This is in Luke chapter 2. It says, then this is when Jesus was about 12 years old. It says, then Jesus went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. That means he submitted to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. I want you to think about this. If there was ever a time in history where a greater submitted to a lesser, it was right there. And here's the, here's the reality, ladies. Sometimes you do, oftentimes you do no better than your husband. That's just all there is to it. Amen. That's all there is to it. Sometimes you just know better. And, and in a lot of your marriages, sometimes the truth is, sometimes the truth is, you're, the wives are better at things than the husband. <laughs> I knew we'd get some of these today. How, however, God still calls you to be submissive to your husband. Why? Because he wants you to practice submission to Jesus. He wants you to emulate submission to Jesus. And this is important to understand. Jesus in his submission submits as an equal And Jesus was a great example of submission, not just to his parents, but Jesus being God the Son submits to God the Father. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, Paul says, talking about the similar issue about roles of submission, he says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now we know from the Gospels, don't we, really clearly, that Jesus presented himself as equal to God. That's why they wanted to kill him. 
The Jews wanted to kill him because they thought it was blasphemy to say that a man would say he's equal to God. Of course, it is blasphemy unless you are God, and Jesus is God. So Jesus was equally God. We believe that strongly. All Christians believe that Jesus is equally God as the Father is equally God. And yet Jesus submits himself to the Father. This is the, this is the main thing you need to see. Christian marriage is about us pointing to Jesus and wives, listen, in your role in submitting to your husbands, you get to demonstrate to the world the humility of Jesus. That Jesus, the greatest man that ever lived, still submitted himself to earthly parents. Jesus, God the Son, still submitted himself to God the Father. Marriage is meant for us to demonstrate to the world this is how good our God is. We worship a God who humbled himself and became a man and lived a perfect life, including a life of submission. This is the picture God wants to paint. We get so mixed up with this because we get so focused on, yeah, but what does culture think? What does society think? What about all the injustices? Well, i got to tell you, even in a, in, a, in a good Christian marriage, there's still going to be injustices. Every time you wrong somebody else, there's injustice. Now, the, the, the key is, what does God want to be seen? And what he wants to be seen is his goodness, including the fact that he would humble himself and become a man. So wives are demonstrating the, hum- the humility of Jesus. Now, what about husbands? He tells husbands, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, we read that, and the first thing we think of love, oh, love, isn't that nice? <laughs> I, want to, I want to love my wife. Nothing wrong with cutesy romantic love. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about husbands modeling a sacrificial love. It's a love that surrenders its rights. In fact, when it says the word that Paul uses there for gave is not just a kind of generic word to give. It's a word that means to surrender yourself, like go ahead and arrest me. It means to present yourself to the authority and say arrest me. Put me in jail if I have to. It means to completely surrender your life. It means to give up your rights, to lay down your freedoms. That's what it means. Now, now ladies, I know you're thinking, I, I just I don't like this bit, whole submitting to, to husbands' things. Well, listen to how tough our job is. <laughs> God compares you to say, listen, I want you to submit. God says, I want you to submit to your husbands to demonstrate the submission of Jesus the same way that we need to be submitted to Jesus as the church. So he compares you to the church, a group of people that are fallible, that are in process. He says, okay, husbands, here's your role. Be just like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Surrender your rights like Jesus. This is what he calls us to as men. This is why I think Paul says in Colossians, he gives this little exhortation. He says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Because there's such a difficulty in, the, in the, the calling of a Christian husband. It can be so difficult, so frustrating, it's easy for our hearts to get bitter. Listen, if you have it easy as a Christian husband, you might be doing it wrong. 
If everything is always wonderful for you, you might be doing it wrong. You might not be taking enough thought to think, okay, what, what, how am I helping my wife here? I'm not saying it needs to be miserable. I'm just saying it's tough. The call that God gives us is tough. He goes on to say, notice in verse 26, he says, this is what he does in, in surrendering. Jesus, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Now, if you're kind of new to Christianity, Paul, in giving this, these commands to, to husbands, he's reminding them a lot about this gospel, this good news about Jesus. Because what the Bible says here about Jesus is what the Bible says all over the place about Jesus, that Jesus is God's son who came and gave himself for us. He laid down his life for us. Even when we wanted nothing to do with him, he laid down his life for us. It's interesting here because what we see here in verses 26 and 27 is really a love, Jesus modeled a love that is committed to our eternal good. Not just making us comfortable, not just making us happy, but changing us, preparing us, sacrificing for us so that we can be happy eternally. So we can experience good eternally. So the role of a husband is a role that is committed to his spouse's eternal good. That's what you want. Husband, your role is not just to make sure there's food on the table or they have a decent holiday or that you change the oil in the car and put gas. That's a cultural thing, really. Your role is not just to do these kind of culturally expected things. Your role, your main role, according to Scripture, as a husband, as a Christian husband, is to make sure your wife is ready for eternity. Think about that. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? It's a big deal. Now, now, it's important for us to see that Paul is, is in, in saying this, is saying this is what God's already done for us. This is what Jesus has already done for us. Let's think about what these things are. When he says, listen, wives, he says, or he says what Christ has done for us is he sanctified us. The word sanctify means to set apart. It's the idea that when God saves us. When Jesus saves us, when we come to faith in Jesus and he forgives our sins and he brings us into God's family, he sets us apart for God's purposes so that we, are now, we now belong to God and we are to worship no other gods. In a very similar way, when we get married, right? We get married and we say, till death do us part. We, do, we, let, uh, we say we're making a commitment to that person and there's not gonna be another person brought into that marriage relationship. It's one man and one woman. That's marriage according to the scripture. <laughs> So we protect that relationship. God sets us apart and protects us. But that setting apart, listen, does not mean putting on a shelf. Okay, you're mine now, so you just do what I say. doesn't mean she can't have her own, her own life, her own desires, her own wants. It's like you can still have some of your own desires and your own wants. doesn't mean those things can't be there, but it means you're set apart for something, just like Christ set us apart. Also notice he says that they would be cleansed. And how does God cleanse us? How does Jesus cleanse us? It says that we're cleansed. Notice he cleansed her with the washing of water by the word. Now there's different ideas of what this water refers to. Many people think it refers to the waters of baptism because that's the first act of obedience of a Christian is baptism. Baptism is very important. It could be that. 
it's probably more connected to the word of, the washing of the word of the fact that as we come to faith, we come to faith in Jesus because we understand what Jesus says about himself and about what he's done for us. We hear what Jesus says, we hear his word, and that's what develops faith in our hearts. And as we cry out to God in faith, he saves us, he cleanses us. So the washing of the water of the word is really how God speaks to us. He says, trust me, confess to me, walk with me. He promises to be with us. And as we believe those promises, he cleanses us. He washes us clean from our sins. He died to make that possible. So think about how this applies to us as husbands. As husbands, here's what should happen. We should be cleansing with our words, not condemning. For you who are quite vocal, like me, you might fall into a trap of being extra critical towards your wife or maybe towards your children as well. We have to guard against that. Our words should be used to see them grow. But also look at verse 27. He says that he might present her to himself a glorious church. This is what Jesus does with us. We're a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he should be, be that she should be holy and without blemish. This is not about the value of a woman being how she looks. That's not what he's talking about. It's a metaphor for us being totally cleansed from all of our sin, all the things that are that, that affect us, who we are. He, he's not saying the only value of a woman is that she's got perfect skin or something. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that what Jesus does for us is in a sense to make us eternally young. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I look in the mirror and then look at the pictures of when I was 21 and look in the mirror and look at the pictures of when I was 21 and kind of go, yeah, I kind of like the 21-year-old John a bit better. But the thing is, is that that's just a facade. What's true is happening is even though this outward person is perishing, the inward me is being renewed every day. God's doing that by his spirit because of what Jesus has done. So that when I see God face to face, the creator of the universe, I'm gonna be completely accepted, completely cleansed. He sees me as perfect. In fact, really even now we saw in the first part of Ephesians, God sees us as perfect because we're hidden in Christ. The, the point is this, okay? It's about us becoming glorious, about us becoming like God. That's why we're set apart. That's why we, we're set apart for God's purposes. His purpose is to make us like Jesus so we can enjoy Jesus forever. Now, Jesus talks about this idea of sanctified or set apart when he prays for us in John 17. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them, speaking of disciples, into the world, for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus says, I set apart myself for God's purposes. In that case, it included his death, his suffering and death. Why? So that we could be sanctified for God. How do we know we're set apart for God? How do we measure that? How do we quantify that? By what God says in his word. This is important to understand. Because what God's calling us to do as husbands, he's saying, husbands, I want you to demonstrate the sacrifice of Jesus. Wives, you need to demonstrate the humility of Jesus, but husbands, you demonstrate the sacrifice of Jesus. Lay down your lives 
so that your wives are ready to be with Jesus forever. You know, one of the things that revolutionized my marriage, still got a long way to go, we're still in process, but really made a massive difference in my marriage is when I realized that Sarah is God's bride before she's mine. See, Sarah is my sister forever, but she's only my wife until death do us part. But she's Christ's bride forever. And so what I want to do is think, okay, she's engaged to Jesus, so to speak, and I want to prepare her for the wedding day. See, it was easy for me to think about that with my three daughters, with my daughters, wanting to protect them and prepare them and help them to be ready for their wedding day. That's a little easier. They're my daughters. I think of them that way. I'm going to give them away. But actually... Jesus is the, I mean, Sarah is the bride of Christ, as we all are collectively. And I want to prepare her to know him. That's far more important than any other aspect of our marriage. Husbands, this is why it's important for you to set the tone for your home spiritually. Are you blessed to be part of the bride of Christ? It's a metaphor that guys aren't comfortable with. I'm the bride? Whoa, I don't know. Well, you are. You're seen as beautiful and acceptable and wanted and cherished by God and you should be setting the tone for your family that says, I want this to be the priority. Sarah said to me when we were engaged, she says, you know, one of the things that I loved about my dad growing up was she said that uh, I I can't remember a morning when I didn't get up and there he was reading his Bible and praying. And I thought, I, I want to be the same way for my kids. I want to be the same way for my wife. I don't want to do it in front of her. She's like, look at me, I'm being spiritual. I want to be someone who takes my walk with God seriously, that my biggest priority is me saying, Lord, I want to just follow you, and I want for my family that they would follow you above all things. I want my wife to follow you above all things. That's a Christian marriage. You see, in doing that, in laying down our lives to enable our wives to follow after Jesus, we are demonstrating the sacrifice that Jesus makes. Notice he says in verse 28, he says, so husbands, just as Christ did all this for us, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as does the church. You wake up in the morning, you go get your cup of tea or cup of coffee, you start feeling hungry. The next thought is, hmm, what can I make to feed my family? No, it's not. (laughs) The next thought is, how can I feed myself? (laughs) This is how we all are. Not just husbands, everyone. We naturally think about, how can I take care of myself? You ever get a group photo taken, and then you get that photo back to you? What do you do? Who do you look for? You. How did my hair look? Was there a shine on my head? Did I suck in my gut enough? <laughs> this is what we think. We look for ourselves. We, we want to take care of ourselves. What Paul's saying here is he's saying, listen, as husband and wife, You should be so one that you think about her the way you automatically think about yourself. This is what God calls us to. Why? Why such a huge standard? Because, listen, 
He wants to demonstrate his sacrifice to the world. He wants us, our marriages, to demonstrate who he is. In fact, Peter says this is so important. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them, that's your wives, with understanding. That means think about where they're at. Husbands, study your wives, basically. He says, give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean you can beat her in arm wrestling. It means she's in a weaker position. And when someone's in a weaker position, they're vulnerable. You need to honor that. It's tough for her to be submitted to, to you. Honor that. Don't bull over her. Be, be sensitive to that. He says, and this is what you need to keep in mind, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So serious is this that Peter says, your prayers are hindered. Like God says, listen, I know you got lots of needs there, buddy, but you're not listening to me. You're not thinking about your wife. It's pretty serious. Listen, grace, uh, heirs together the grace of life. Like I said earlier, it's okay for husbands to have their own interests and wives to have their own interests. Wives, you don't have to. I know all these marriage books say you, if, you're, if your husband likes football, you should follow his team. <laughs> Where's that written? If you don't like football, don't watch football. Who cares? You don't have to have the exact same interests. You can have different interests. However, if your life is about your interests, you're living life wrong as a Christian. Because our life is meant to be about Jesus. God can't give us anything greater than himself. Our life is about him. God, I want to know you. Doesn't mean we can't be in the football. Be in the football. Football's great, but be in the football for Jesus. <laughs> Not just because you love it so much. Lord, I want to enjoy football. Help me to enjoy this in your name. Wives, if you're into whatever you're into, maybe you're into book clubs. You really like reading, and your husband doesn't really want to read. Don't force him to read a book with you. But make sure you're not into that book club just because oh, I love books. Do it as unto Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to only read Christian books, by the way. It just means you want to do it unto Jesus. Now, even there, I'm being a bit stereotypical. It could be reversed. Guys, it could be guys are really in the book clubs, girls are really in the football. Totally cool. No, no problem with that whatsoever. But you're getting my point. The point is, don't be so into your activities that you don't aren't recognizing we share life together. Uh, think about some of these practical things. I have, I have rarely heard, even heard of, let alone known. I've really heard of couples who say, okay, Lord, we, we, we're thinking about moving near this church that's a healthy church that we want to serve in. We want, not because we're called to ministry, but because we're called to follow you. So we want to think, okay, we want to be near this church. So we're going to pray about the house that we have. We're going to pray about the, 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 the jobs that we get so that we can be connected to this this community, this community of believers, and so that we can live out the Christian life you've called us to live out. I hardly ever hear that. I hear loads of people going, you know what? Poof, I got a better job, so we're going to move town and just bail on this church and find a new church that we can find. Well, hopefully we'll find a good church. And that's an afterthought. Can we honestly say, when we live this way, can we honestly say that is us living for Jesus? I mean, am I, am I being too extreme there? Seriously, you can, you can say boo if you want. I mean, I, I, I'm serious. Why is that only supposed to be a pastor thing? 
Shouldn't our priority be, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven? And shouldn't that apply to our marriages first and foremost? Again, I'm not talking about your life revolving around church, really. But I am talking about our lives revolving around Jesus. Lord, how can we bring glory to your name? And the husband and wife are saying, how can we do this? Now, let me say something else. You don't have to be married to do this. You see, the thing is, is that in a very real sense, God is our husband. Jesus is our husband. So we want to be submitted to him, all of us, male or female. We want our lives to revolve around him, all of us. All Paul's doing is taking that reality and applying it to marriage. That's all he's doing. In a very real sense, all of us are called to model that submission. Lord, our lives are yours. You're our husband. We want to follow you. All of us are called to model that idea of sacrifice. Lord, you've already laid down your life for us. We already belong to you. We want to lay down our lives for your sake. We're all called to that. Paul's just saying, here's what it should look like in marriage. And this is why, too, and if you think I'm just making this up, Paul makes it super clear in verse 30. We're almost done. He says, for we are members of his body. That's we, Christians, are members of Christ's body, of his flesh and of his bones. And then he goes on to quote Genesis 2.24, which we'll talk about in a second. See, Paul's saying, listen, I'm giving you an idea about, okay, here's how submission one to another works in, in Christian marriage. It works this way for this reason. <clears throat> this is not about, okay, how can I, you know, how can God help me have a more satisfying marriage? This is about how can I honor Jesus in my marriage? And, and here's the here's the uh, the irony. You know what I found? The more we honor Jesus in our marriage, the happier we are. The better our romantic life is, the quicker we are to laugh about stuff, the more we enjoy our family, the more we're saying, okay, we want to be about Jesus, not just about us. That's what life's meant to be. And Paul says here, he says, he brings it not just back to, here's Jesus the example, but here's Jesus the motivation. He's the reason because we're members of his body. Do you realize that's what we are? We're one body, the Bible says. This is why, listen, <laughs> when it comes to church, the church, the local church, servant's church, we are meant to be a family of families. We used to call our church camp family camp, and we changed it to church camp because every time we called it family camp, everyone who was single thought, oh, I guess it's not for me. Well, you're part of the family. It's not camp for families. It's family camp. We're a family, and we're camping together. So we had to call it church camp because people couldn't get that. <laughs> it is us as a church being a family together, a family of families. God puts singles in families, the psalm says. You're not less of a family because you're not married or because you don't have children. In Christ, you're part of the family, which is why when people receive Christ or become Christians, we often say, welcome to the family. And, and this is what he's saying. We are one family, a family of families, and we want to demonstrate Jesus by how we live. This is why Paul says, listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. 
It is with the, so it is with the body of Christ. That's us as believers. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we share the same spirit. This makes for harmony among members so that all the members care for each other. So not only are our husband and wife joint heirs in the grace of life, we as a family are joint heirs of grace of life. Do you see what I'm saying? It's ironic as well that the church that's meant to be a family so often divides family. It's so easy for us as a local church to get so busy that families are divided. Mom's doing this and dad's doing this and the kids are doing that. This is why we've decided this year to sort of do less things and try to do them better so that when we're doing things, we can be together. This is why we still have a bring-in share every fourth or in this month, fifth Sunday. Because we, we really want to be together as a family. We want to learn to practice. This is why we have a break. We don't have a break just because we're addicted to caffeine. Some of us are. We confess <laughs> that. But that's not why we have the break. We have the break so that we can learn to be family. Now, Paul quotes Genesis 2.24 and verse 31. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, interesting. We are already one. He, we're going to see right now in the context. He's very clearly talking about applying Genesis 2.24, which is the first scripture in the Bible that talks about marriage, and he's applying this to us as Christian believers, okay? That we are married to Jesus. In a very real sense, we're married, we're like married to Jesus, but not yet married to Jesus. We've kind of, in one sense, been engaged in a Jewish thinking when you got engaged. It was like you were married, you had to get divorced to become un, unengaged in Jewish thinking. So we're like engaged to Jesus. It's a guaranteed we're going to get married, but we're waiting for that wedding day. In other words, we're in a place right now where we, we know that we're one with Jesus, but we haven't yet experienced that oneness in its completion. So, so Paul talks about this. Listen, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul, Paul says this. He says, and uh, all that I know now is partial and complete. He's not just talking about head knowledge. He's talking about relational knowledge. He says, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. The then that he's talking about is when we see God face to face. So right now, our marriages and our family life and our church life, right now, this is to point to that. A time when we're going to see Jesus face to face. In fact, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, gives us this great picture of a wedding feast. Guess whose wedding it is? Ours and Jesus's. Listen to what it says. It says, then, this is Revelation chapter 19, it says, then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, massive celebration. Praise the Lord, they say, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has, given, uh, she has been given the finest of pure white linens to wear, 
For the linen, the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. We are being prepared for a wedding day. And our marriages are meant to point to that day. That's the point. We're being prepared for a wedding day and our marriages are meant to point to that day. So wives, listen, this is not about, oh, great, if I'm going to be a Christian, i got to submit to this guy. <laughs> it's about, Lord, I get to see you face to face. I'm going to live with you and be married to you face to face. I want as many people to come with me as possible. Therefore, in obedience to you and submission to you, I'm going to let this knucklehead who I love call the shots. <laughs> and it means husbands. It means husbands. You say, okay, I get to be married to Jesus forever. I'm being prepared for that great day. And so because he laid down his life for me, as tough as it is, as frustrating as it can be at times, Lord, by your spirit, I'm going to lay down my life for this woman. I'm going to put her priorities before mine. And together, you as a couple, you as a collective family, we as the family of God say, Lord, we're yours. And we want to demonstrate your sacrifice and your humility so we can bring as many people to that day as possible. That's what we want to do. This is what he means. This is why he says, listen, this is a great mystery. It means it's a secret that you've been told. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, he says, each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respect her husband. In other words, listen, this whole thing is about Jesus, but we don't want to just talk about it. We want to demonstrate it. So you who are married, let me ask you a question. Do people look at your marriage and go, man, that makes me want to go to heaven? Or do you look at each other and think, I wish you would go to heaven? (laughs) (laughs) Do we have the kind of marriages that go, gosh, babe, if this is this good, how much greater is it going to be when we see him face to face? Do we have the kind of marriages that are helping us trust Jesus more? Because that's what God wants to do. You've probably been to, some of you have probably been to Christian marriage seminars and heard all kinds of stuff about date nights and devotionals and all kinds of things that can be super helpful. But if you don't get this, it's all going to be for naught. It's always about Jesus. It's always about us knowing him better and showing him better. 